You're listening to a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. Hello and welcome to the Paediatric Papers podcast. Bite-sized summaries of pivotal paediatric articles so you can consume important research on the go. My name's Jai, I'm one of the Education Hub Fellows and today is the 14th of September 2020. In paediatrics, we're very critical of when blood tests are done and when they're not. We can diagnose many inflammatory or infective paediatric conditions from clinical signs alone. So inflammatory markers like a CRP level or a procalcitonin level are not often done as part of our diagnostic workup. For this reason, on my day-to-day, it seems like most of these inflammatory markers are only ordered to check in on chronic, grumbling, inflammatory or infective causes to give us additional information we wouldn't normally get from either the history or the exam. Today's study looks at the use of inflammatory markers through a third prism for prognosis and in trying to work out in anticipation of the next step of a child's care. Remember that this podcast looks at positive study findings only, so for a more detailed analysis of the article, its findings, and where perhaps they fall down, please check out the full written summary on the Education Hub's Paediatric Papers webpage. The summary for this article includes another good podcast on how to avoid unnecessary tests in paediatric practice. And with that out of the way, let's get started. Today's article comes to us from Florin and his colleagues in the emergency department at the Cincinnati Children's Hospital called Biomarkers and Disease Severity in Children with Community-Acquired Pneumonia. And this was published in Paediatrics in this year, 2020, in June. The study was a prospective cohort study from the single site from Cincinnati Children's and included just shy of 500 children aged between 3 months and 18 years came to visit them over the space of 5 years between 2013 and 2017. The primary aim of the study was to see whether blood investigations taken when a child first presents to an emergency department correlated with what sort of cares they needed to recover from pneumonia. And I think there's a couple of different things important to highlight here. A few changes in what was done in the study than what we normally do in Australian day-to-day practice. A couple of ideas around the literature, especially how they rated severity of pneumonia in this case. And then some of the types of children the study didn't include. And for that reason, why we have to be really cautious with how we apply its findings. So the first oddity to note in the study is that every single child with suspected pneumonia included in this study had not only their clinical signs and symptoms recorded, but every child had both a chest x-ray and blood investigations. As I mentioned at the top of this podcast, that is certainly not the practice here in Australia. And for children who have pneumonia, if the diagnosis can be made clinically, there is no value in doing extra blood tests and certainly not a chest x-ray. This is not common practice in working up a pneumonia diagnosis. Perhaps if the child was very, very sick and unwell and we thought that there was pneumonia-related complications, perhaps things like an already established effusion, perhaps something like an abscess or an empyema that we weren't quite sure of on clinical examination, we might proceed with some of these tests. But yes, it certainly isn't our routine when a child walks into the emergency department with suspected pneumonia. The second was how they classified mild, moderate and severe pneumonia, which is again different from what we tend to do on the day-to-day. The researchers decided to group children who were discharged from the emergency department as those with mild pneumonia, 
children with pneumonia who were admitted but only required help with one thing, so maybe they required IV fluids or maybe they required just IV antibiotics or maybe they required just low flow oxygen. These were what they were classifying as moderate in the study. And then children who required more than one therapy, so IV fluids and oxygen, were those deemed severe cases of pneumonia. This is very, very different from what we tend to hold in our mental models. For more information, I'd suggest you check out the Royal Children's Hospital Clinical Practice Guideline on Community Acquired Pneumonia. But as a taster, we classify children with mild respiratory tract in lower respiratory tract infections or pneumonia as those who don't require any treatment. Those with moderate pneumonias are children who can be managed with amoxicillin or IV benzyl penicillin alone. And Children with severe pneumonia must have one feature of severe respiratory distress, hypoxemia or cyanosis, marked tachycardia, an altered mental state or an empyema. So in short, their classification is not tethered to the amount of support or what type of support they require. The last thing is that there's a category of children with underlying diseases who are at risk of more severe pneumonias, which is what this study was trying to target. However, the researchers did not include children who had represented to the hospital within 14 days. Often these would be the ones who were coming in with complications from pneumonia or who had underlying conditions that increase their risk of a complicated pneumonia. Things like a history of aspiration and immunodeficiency or other chronic diseases like neuromuscular disorders which meant that their risk of something requiring severe or more therapy was high. So in short, they seem to be limiting the scope and the generalizability of this study, which would have been much better suited for children who are at high risk of severe pneumonia and requiring significant help in hospital. If you get time, I would highly recommend going back to the article itself just to have a look at both Table 2 and Figure 2, where the researchers plot all the different investigation findings they have between children with mild, moderate and severe pneumonia, mostly to see how close, how similar they all are. But in short, the two findings from the paper were, one, that it didn't matter if a child had mild, moderate or severe pneumonia, their CRP, procalcitonin and other inflammatory marker values were very, very, very similar. Certainly you would not be able to tell which child was to go on to have mild, moderate or severe pneumonia from their initial blood tests alone. And then the second major finding was that yes, CRP and procalcitonin do have some prognostic value in pneumonia, but in a very, very small subset. The study found that CRP and procalcitonin levels were comparatively higher in children with an empyema who also either one, needed a chest drain to treat that empyema, or two, needed inotropes to help them recover from the septic shock due to the empyema. So in short, maybe a CRP and procalcitonin level is useful in children who already have a known empyema who you are worried might need that extra help with a chest drain or vasopressors. So in summary, this study is another one that proves that things like CRP and procalcitonin levels won't necessarily help us cinch the diagnosis or the severity of a diagnosis, but in certain specific circumstances might be a good tool to add to the rest of our workup to let us uh, anticipate the needs of a child. 
That's it for this episode of Paediatric Papers. Please give the podcast a like if you enjoyed it and leave us any comments and feedback down below. Remember, the better your feedback, the better this podcast. To get involved, send us an email at education.hub at rch.org.au and check back every Monday for a brand new Paediatric Papers episode. Thanks for listening. Please view the description section below for more information on this topic. The Education Hub is a collaboration between the Royal Children's Hospital and the University of Melbourne Department of Paediatrics and funded by the RCH Foundation.